Today in part two for your notes, I want to talk to you about this. God is my source. God is my source. And in a little bit, we're going to go to the second commandment, which is to have no idols. God is my source. So here's what I want to explain to you today. Everyone in this room, we all have a, a throne on the inside of our heart. And that throne has been prepared on the inside of our heart for God to sit on that throne in our life. But too many times our priorities are out of order and we remove God from the throne of our heart and we put something or some person or something else there and that thing becomes more important to us than God. And we just can't live without that, whatever it is. And we think about it all the time and we desire it and we want it. And God is saying, why do you see that resource as your source? God's our source. And he uses resources. He uses people. He uses money. He uses our talent, gifts. He uses these things. But we tend to get confused in life and we see the resource as our God rather than the one who brought it into our life. And listen, just as easy as God brought that into your life is just as easy as he can remove it out of your life. Somebody's about to get tased. And um, <laughs> so 1 Corinthians 8, 6 says this, there is one God who is the source of all things. Philippians 4, 19, God will supply all of my needs. God is our supplier. He is our source. And so this throne that's in our heart, it cannot be shared with anyone. God's not going to sit on this throne with your spouse. God's not going to sit on this throne with your money. He's not going to sit on this throne in your heart with your fears and your insecurities and whatever you got going on in your mind that you think about more than God. It cannot be shared. And here's the problem with this is whatever is our highest priority in life is what is seated on that throne. And our life will always go in the direction of our highest priority. Our life will always go in the direction of that thing that we just can't live without. That thing that that person, if they walked out on us, we don't know what we would do. We would just, we would just rather die than be without that person. If we lost our house, if the stock market crashed, how could we be confident and have security? And how could we have peace in our life without, without our money? And see, we don't realize God is the source of all of that, right? Okay, so um, on Sunday morning... Because we're in church, if I asked you, who is your source, what is your top priority, you would say God. And, and that's, a, that's a really good answer. And the Bible says in Psalms 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, and when he is, I lack nothing. There's, there's nothing that I, I lack in life. But, you know, when Monday comes around, we remove God off of our throne, and um, we take our, our problems the things we worry about, the things we stress about, the things we think about, the desires that if this dream doesn't come true, then how could I ever serve God And if he doesn't do this for me? And this Rubik's Cube, it represents all the problems that we really can't fix. All the dreams that no matter how much we manipulate things, we just can't make it come to pass. It's something that only God can do or the, the geek that you beat up in high school, one or the other. But either way, that's what the Rubik's Cube represents is, is our problems. And we think about it all the time. And we dwell on this problem, and, and we can't be happy until it's fixed, and we can't go forward until it's fixed. And this burden, it just weighs us down, but Psalms 55, 22 says we're to cast our burden on the Lord, and he'll never allow the righteous to be shaken. Uh, and, and so we, we we're dwelling on this, we think about it, and so if it's not one of your problems, then a lot of times for people, it's, um, it's their money. 
and they love their house so much, and they work so hard to be able to retire by the age of 55 years old, and if they don't keep working, if they don't have money, what if something happens to their child, and, and their child loses their job? Is there going to be finances for their child? We have to understand, you're not the provider of you. God's the provider of you. Matthew 6, says, when we put God first and his righteousness, all these things that we think about and want and desire, these things he'll, he'll actually bring into our life. I've had people say, John Paul, I just can't be happy unless I have all this going for me and all these things. Psalms 144, 15 says, happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Do you see what I'm doing with the scripture? All these things that we want and we desire, it all comes from God. And so if it's not money, if it's not wealth, then it's some person <clears throat> that we just, if they don't love us, the way we want them to love us, and if they don't do what we want them to do, and we will control and manipulate this person because they hold our joy in the palm of their hands. And in high school, it's the cheerleader, and in college, it's the professor. You want them to like you, and they don't like you, and you need their approval. And then after that, it's, you know, your father didn't give you what you needed, and then you get married, and your wife, she's not doing what you want, so you try to control your spouse. And all of this is built up into this person. And if they're not doing right, how can you serve God? And when and, and what, what what if, what if it's your child? What if your child died? Can, can you go forward if something happened to one of your children? Can you go forward if your spouse leaves you? What, what, what are you going to do? And, and maybe if it's not, you know, somebody like maybe it's your pastor. Maybe you just love your pastor and you think, well, he's the one I need to, I can't hear from God unless, unless, unless my pastor's there. And if we got a different pastor, how can I go forward? But your pastor is not your source. God's your source. I actually know Christians they are, they, their whole life for four years is full of depression and discouragement and anxiety, all based on who the president is. I can't tell you how many Christians, uh, they get mad that, that, that Biden was the president. I got a puppet to represent him. And so um, Biden, and they get, that was not good. I'm sorry, that was wrong. I apologize. That was not good of me. So we'll forget that ever happened. We'll edit that out. But anyway... <clears throat> It says in Proverbs 21.1, the heart of the king, and that's why I use the puppet, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and he will turn it whichever way he chooses. Amen. And you're going to let some guy that God can, can, if God wanted to turn him this way, he would. You're going to let that person control your happiness and your life? You need to dethrone them and put God back on the throne where he belongs. See, codependent people use Philippians 4.13. Uh, it says, I can do all things through, what's that name? But see, they remove Christ, and I can do all things as long as my child is doing right, and as long as they're healthy, and as long as they're obeying me, I can do all, because they give me strength. I can do all things through my spouse, because if they walked out of me, I just could not go on. I could not live. I can do all things through, and they remove God from that scripture, and they put some person who holds their joy in life in the palm of their hand, and they will try to manipulate that person and control them because they can't be happy unless that person's doing what they want them to do. Here's my question. What's on your throne? What is on your throne? Now, the reason this question is very, very, very important is because of this. Two reasons. The first one is Satan will use for the rest of your life against you whatever you have on this throne. Satan studies your, your flesh patterns, your bad habits, and he will send demons your way to abuse you spiritually all based on what is on your throne. He, he will use that to, uh, to manipulate you and to get you out of church. Uh, if he knows this person that's in your life that you love more than God, they can, can, they can change your convictions. You used to be convicted about something, but then you met this person and now your convictions change. 
And, and here's the other reason you need to figure out what's on your throne is this. It's because whatever's on your throne controls the direction of your life. How sad would it be to get to the end of your life and realize your whole life was spent being controlled by somebody who was ordering your steps other than God? Here you are, 90 years old, in a nursing home, about to pass away, and you think, I can't believe I wasted 70, 80 years of my life catering to somebody that was never going to love me the way I wanted them to love me, that was never going to approve of me the way I needed them to approve of me, that was never going to be there for me the way I was there for them. And your whole, your, your mind, your involvement, remember Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. All your heart, soul, mind, strength was focused on this person. So... <clears throat> What is on your throne? Whatever is on your throne, it's a word that's in, it's in the Bible, and you can write it on your notes. It's the word idol. Just write it somewhere. I-D-O-L, idol. Whatever is on your throne, if it's not God, it is an idol. And it just so happens we're going to go to the commandment number two, which is Exodus 20, verses 4. First commandment was verse 3 last week. It says, you shall not make for yourself any idol or an, now what's that word? Image. I need you to remember that word for the rest of the sermon. Everybody say Image image of anything <coughs> excuse me that is in heaven or on earth or in the waters you shall not bow down or worship them for i am a jealous god now there's a good jealousy and bad jealousy in our english dialect we only have one word for jealousy but in hebrew and greek there's more than one so it's a healthy jealousy that god has for us in other words if you were planning family time and your child said nope i don't want to do family time i want to go hang out with the drug dealers you would have a healthy jealousy knowing your child's better off with you. Not just because you want them with you, but you know it'd be better for that child to be with you than drug. It's a healthy jealousy. And God says this, I tolerate no rivals. I taught you last week how tolerance and love are not synonyms. God does not tolerate anything being on this throne other than him inside your heart. So there's three main idols we're going to talk about today for your notes. Point number one is this, people. People. A lot of times we see some person, some boss, some president, some spouse, some child as our source when really all that person is is a resource that the source brought into our life. And just as easy as the source brought that person in is just as easy that source will bring that person out if you choose to keep them on that throne inside of your heart. Um, so the, the, the Israelites come out of Egypt, right? And I told you last week Egypt was filled with gods, little g. They're out of Egypt, they go through the wilderness, and they come to the promised land, which is the land of Canaan. The Canaanites had more idols than any other culture on planet Earth. So they come from a culture with more gods than any other culture into a culture with more idols than any other culture on planet Earth, okay? The Canaanites, <clears throat> they believed that um, you needed, a, you needed a, a national god that you could worship in an idol. You needed a personal god you could worship in an idol. You needed a, you know, a family god you could worship in an idol. And so they believed that you could go out into the woods and you could carve something in the image of a god. And they believed the spirit of that thing would enter the image and they could carry it around with them and worship that idol. <clears throat> Talk to the idol, bow down to the idol. In other words, <clears throat> there was a god of fertility. Now, I don't know what the God looked like, but they went out in the woods and they carved what they thought this God of fertility looked like. <laughs> they believed the spirit of that God entered that idol, and they would take it and put it in their bedroom and believe that's why they were able to conceive and have children, because that idol was in there. There was a God of rain. And so when there were the, the crops were dry and there was no rain, they went out and they carved an image of a rain God. They believed the rain spirit God entered the image, and they went out and they put it at their crops. And, and when it finally rained, well, it's because of the, the rain God idol that was there, okay? 
Um, Israel was the only culture on planet Earth, listen, this is so amazing, the only one on the whole planet who worshipped an invisible God. They were okay. They were okay for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years having faith in a God they could not see. They did not need an image of him because they believed they had him. So they could worship this. They did not need to carve an image. They worshiped an invisible God. Now, in the New Testament, I love this. In Colossians 1.15, it says this. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. In other words, God did show up. In person, he did show up, and he died for us. So the Canaanites are carving these images. They believe the spirit of the God inhabited the idol. They put it wherever they wanted it to go. Here's my question, big question. Where did the Canaanites get that idea from? In other words... Where did Satan pull out of his hat the idea that he could deceive these Canaanites into believing that if they carved an image of their God, that the spirit of the God would enter the image and they could carry it around with them everywhere they went. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says Satan's a wicked schemer. In other words, the word wicked comes from the same word as where you get wicker, wicker furniture. It's where you twist things. Satan always twists what God does and twists what God says. See, Satan cannot create anything. He can only make things. You and I, we cannot create anything. We can only make things. Create means you bring something from nothing. Only God. He's the only being in the universe who can create. He created the heavens and the earth from nothing. He created the sun by simply saying, let there be light. It came from nothing. God creates. Everything you and I have ever accomplished in our life is because we made something. In other words, we took something that God already created and we made something from it. When we make a car, we don't create a car. We make a car from things that were already in the earth. If, you, if, if someone makes a painting, they don't create a painting, they make it. They make a sculpture. It all comes from something God's already created. Are you with me? Stay with me, okay? So Satan comes up with this idea, and he can't create the. He, he made, he, he thinks, how can we make an image, and I can talk them into believing the spirit of that God enters the image, and they can carry it around and begin to bow down to this thing other than Jehovah, the invisible God. Where did Satan devise and twist that plan from where did he get it from he got it from the garden of eden right genesis 126 says let us make man father son holy spirit let us make man in our what's the word i told you to remember image, image. remember image is synonymous with idol right in that uh, in that previous scripture let us make man our own image genesis 2 7 and god formed man from the ground see we were not created we were made we came from something God already created. Our bodies came from the dust of the earth, the ground. Eve came from Adam's rib, right? Here, then after that, here's what happened. And he breathed in his nostrils the spirit of life. That's where Satan got the idea. See, the Israelites did not need to go out and make an image of their God. Listen, because they were an image of their God with the spirit of God inside of the image. Are you, how do we know God has a face? Because we have a face, and we were made in his image. How do we know God has lips and ears and, and fingers? Because we were made in the image of God. Are you, the Israelites did not need to go outside and carve an image of God and pray to this. Because all they had to do was look in the mirror. Because we are an image of our God with his spirit inside of us. Are you with me? So here's what we do, though. We don't go out to the woods and carve an image. No, 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 we're too good for that. You know, we do. 
we take somebody else that's already an image of God with the Spirit of God inside of them, and we worship them. We will change who we are for them. We will try to manipulate everything for them. We can't live without them. Who is the one person you just cannot live without? Now, if you say anything other than God, you have an idol. Will you be okay if all of your children pass away before you, but you have Jesus? Would you be okay if your spouse left you, but you have Jesus? Would you be okay if you lost an arm, lost a leg, and couldn't function like you used to, but you have Jesus? Will you be okay if all the money in your bank somehow disappeared, but you have Jesus? Your answer better be yes for every one of those questions. Some of y'all are thinking about it. Stop thinking about it. The answer should be yes. <clears throat> so uh, Moses died <clears throat> at 120 years old. When Moses died, um, everyone was crying and weeping because they loved him so much. He was a great leader, great pastor. And after 30 days, God said, okay, 30 days is up. You need to stop mourning, stop crying. It's over. He's done. Well, Joshua, Moses' best friend, kept on crying. And in Joshua 1, 2, here's what he said. Moses is dead. Now get up and go to the promised land. In other words, his time in your life, it served its purpose already. If you don't freely let him go, once he leaves your life, it's going to control your life. So let this person go because they're gone and keep on focusing on your destiny. Right? Okay, here's what I love about this story. In Joshua 1, 5, here's what God said to Joshua. Just as I was with Moses... I'll be with you. Here's what God was saying. Hey, Joshua, did you like the leadership qualities in Moses? Oh, I love those leadership qualities. Guess what? It came from me. Did you, did you really enjoy the wisdom that, that Moses would speak into your life? Oh, I love that wisdom. That came from me. Did it, did it give you peace and comfort to have Moses around? Oh, it gave me so much peace and comfort. Guess what? All those qualities that were in Moses that you loved, they all came from me. So if you would stop going after the resource and start going after the source, I'll bring somebody else into your life. I'll give you those qualities. I'll provide your needs. I am your God. Get that idol off the throne in your heart. So it got so bad for the Israelites. In Deuteronomy 18.9, and the fulfillment of this is in Acts 3.22 if you're a good Bible reader. And here's what God said. When you come into the land which God is giving you, you shall not, I just want to see a commandment, make your son or daughter pass through the fire. You shall not practice witchcraft, sorcery, or use a medium, or call upon the dead. And I'm going to talk about that in a second. As for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. The Lord your God will raise up for you, and prophet is capital P, it's referring to Jesus him you shall hear. Here's what he's saying. Is the Lord has not appointed spooky and weird stuff for you, but he has appointed a direct relationship to God through Jesus Christ. In other words, the only person that you need is Jesus. That's all you need. Now, I want you to see the part about calling upon the dead. If you're here today and you think that some distant relative that died or some loved one or whatever, that their spirit came back and you felt their presence, that's a demon. And in the Bible, it's called a familiar demon or a familiar spirit. Um, God will, however, you know, send you a butterfly, a rainbow, or he'll comfort you himself, or he'll some maybe give you a sign that that person's in heaven or whatever. But if you ever thought the spirit of your loved one is, is around you, that is a D-E-M-O-N, demon. 
And what Satan does is Satan studies the flesh patterns of that person that you just love so much. You're so distraught that they're not in your life anymore and they've already passed away. And how are you going to go forward? And he studied their flesh patterns and whatever flesh patterns they have, if they were, you know, they use profanity or maybe they were impatient or easily angered or whatever. And Satan will send those demons your way for you to quote unquote feel that in hopes that you invite that presence into your life. And once again, now you're focusing on some person more than God. So I, and I'll teach you more about that in the next few weeks, or maybe in the next series, but that is a demon spirit. You need to reject that immediately. And you need to, you need to pray that thing out of your house and out of your life. And, and, and why in the world would God, if heaven is as great as the Bible says, why in the world would that person ever want to come back and say hey to you? Knowing that the Bible says your life goes by like this, you'll be there before they can even get to the foot of Jesus to bow down. That is not your relative, that's a dead person. Okay, so... <clears throat> That was offensive, I'm sure, to some of you, so I want to end this point with something funny, okay? <clears throat> True story, talking about how we can't live without people. Uh, back in 1956, and, and point number two and three are really quick, so you don't need to look at your watch. I'll be okay. I promise I'll have you out of here by 2 p.m. And so Richard Daly, Richard Daly was the um, mayor of Chicago in 1956. He was known for his amazing speeches. I mean, he would give the most dynamic speeches People came from all over just to hear him talk. He was a good public speaker, but he just dynamic with his speech. So, got really, really popular. What everyone did not realize was that Mayor Daly had a speechwriter behind the scenes that he used. Once the speechwriter found out that everyone was loving this new mayor because of his speeches, the speechwriter went to him and said, I need a raise. You know, I'm the reason you're getting popular. Nobody even knows about me. I need a raise. And here's what Mayor Daly said, and I'll quote him. I'm not giving you a raise. It should be your honor to work for a great American hero like myself. This speechwriter was so good. Mayor Daly, he didn't even need to look. He would just show up somewhere, hand a speech, and just speak it out. Show up the next place. They'd give him a speech. He'd speak it. He was that good. And so the next few weeks, there was a big speech going on for veterans. And uh, the speech started off like this. I love veterans in our country. does not do enough for veterans. So I've come up with a great 17-point plan on how we can help more veterans in our country. Man, everybody, hundreds of people, they all leaned in to hear what is this amazing 17-point plan. The mayor was excited to see what this 17-point plan was. He turned his page, and all it said was this. You're on your own, you great American hero. <laughs> Don't put your faith in people. Okay, point number two is this, possessions. Possessions. It says in 1 Corinthians 5.21, it says, I'm sorry, 1 John 5.21, guard yourselves from idols, anything that would become a substitute for God's place in your heart. Anytime you read the Bible, there's about 1,800 scriptures on money and heart, money and heart. The reason people who don't put God first financially, who do not tithe, it has nothing to do with how much money they have. It is only based on their heart. They either love money more than God or they love God more than money. It's as simple as that. In fact, the Bible says the more money you have, the harder it is to put God first financially. It has nothing to do with the amount. Because see, 10%, which is what's required, 10% is 10% no matter how much you have. It's the same sacrifice for everybody. God does not mind you having money at all. He does not mind you having possessions at all. He doesn't want possessions to have you. That's the whole point, okay? If God didn't want us to have money, explain this scripture to me in Exodus 12, verse 35. After 430 years, the Lord's people left Egypt. The Lord 
Now, the Lord did this. The Lord gave them favor, and the people left Egypt with silver, gold, and wealth, and not one single one was left out. Not one baby, not one infant, not one senior citizen, not one stay-at-home mom, not one single person left without God giving them silver, gold, and wealth. So explain that to me. If God doesn't want you to have gold and silver and wealth, why did he give it to all? Now, actually, that's a really good question. Why did God give them silver and gold and wealth? I mean, they're, they're leaving Egypt, and they're going in the desert. There's not a Walmart. There's, right? What are they going to do with the gold? There was probably a Dollar General by the time they got halfway through the desert. All honesty, it probably just popped up. But, but there, what, what are they going to spend it on? Why did, why did God give them money? Now listen, they can't buy food in the desert with gold. See, God is the provider. The money's not the provider. The money's not the source. God's the source. So he gives them gold. Why would God give them money? The same reason he gives us money to test our heart. That's the same reason. See, we think the money's the source, the boss is the source, the government's the source. No, those are just resources that the source uses. The money does not deliver you from your sins. The money does not feed you in the desert. The money does not get you into heaven. It is simply a tool that God uses to bless us and to test our heart. So here's how we test their heart. Exodus 25 verse 2, the Lord said this, Receive an offering from me of gold and silver from every man with a willing, what's that word? Heart to give. Here's what God was saying. I want to see what's on your throne. Now, if there was ever a time in the whole world that it would be easy to give God gold, it is when you're in the desert and have nothing to spend it on. Now, they know God's, God's the one that got them out of Egypt, not the money. God's the one that brought manna from heaven and fed them, not the money. God's the one that healed them when they were sick, not the money. So if there was ever a time, ever, it, it would be similar to me. I think this is similar to if God said to all of us, listen, I want everybody to bring me your dirty socks or your bottle caps or your Pop-Tarts or I want everybody to bring me a pile of dirt from your front yard. It is that easy. There's, there's nothing else we can do with it. There's nothing else we can do with it. So of course, when God asks for it, we're going to bring it to him, Right? You know what's so funny? is while God is telling Moses on the mountain, why, while God is speaking out the second commandment, don't make idols in an image and worship them. While God, that's the way God talks, is like that, by the way. Don't make idols in images. While God's saying that to Moses, while he's saying it, you know what the people are doing? While he's saying it, they're at the bottom of the mountain making idols and images. Exodus 32, 4, all the people took the gold that God asked for. They made a molten calf, and they said, these gods that we just made, that we just made, they brought us out of Egypt. Then the people all enjoyed bike week, it says. <clears throat> they all ate and drank and had a wild party. Okay, here's the problem. God's people did not worship God with their possessions. They worshiped their possessions. Now, here's why this is a problem. If, if, you're, the person, if you're somebody here and you, you love money more than God, you know, you're not a faithful tither, and then on top of that, you don't do what God tells you to do. If he says, I want you to give money here or bake somebody a pie or whatever he has to do with him. If you're that kind of person, it's really important you discover that, and here's why. Whatever is seated on this throne that's not God, that possession, that money, that wealth, it, it, it can, a demon can inhabit that and whisper into your ear lies. And the lies that possessions whisper in our ear are lies saying, I am your source. 
In other words, the, the, the demon of money will whisper this to you. It'll say, I am your source for peace. If you have me, you can have peace in your life. But Psalms 29, 11 says, the Lord blesses his people with peace. So who's right? Well, if I have more money, then I can be more confident. If I, if I have the latest iPhone, if I drive a nicer car, if my house is a certain size, then I can be more confident. But it says in Proverbs 3.26 that uh, the Lord is your confidence. What if I have more money, I can just be happier? Because, you know, happiness is important to me, and I just need this money to be happy. First Peter 1.8 says you believe in him, you're filled with inexpressible. Do you see that money says, I will be your God? That's actually what it's saying is, I will be your... Well, if I have more money, John Paul, you don't understand. I can have more security. And then I can know if something happens and the stock market crashes, I know we'll be okay because I can be secure if I have the money. But Proverbs 3.26 says, the Lord's your security. Money says, I am your source. God says, I'm your source. Money says, I'm the answer to your problems. God says, I'm the answer to your problems. Did your money save you? Did, did your, is your money going to get you to heaven? Can your money heal your child? No, listen, God is our source. If you can't throw it away and you can't give it away and you can't sell it, it owns you. Um, I, I think I have enough time to tell this and still get us out by 1030. Um, my last point is really short, but, you know, back in 2000 and, uh, let's see, 2014 or 15, this guy who really loved the ministry that I was part of, he... Um, he called me up one day. He said, I want to buy you a car. I said, well, that's cool. He said, what kind of car do you want? I said, well, I want a Lamborghini. He said, uh, no, let's be realistic. What can I? I said, well, I've always wanted a, a, a Dukes of Hazard, you know, General Lee. I've always wanted General Lee. And so this guy researched, and he found one in Texas, and he bought it for me. And it showed up in a big old truck. It was delivered straight to me, uh, Dukes of Hazard, General Lee, 2008 Challenger, all the bells and whistles, and, man, I loved that car. I mean, I loved I would sit in my driveway at night for an hour just sitting in the car, just smelling. It was a 2008. It had leather seats, and it had a hard drive on it. And so I would spend uh, maybe 30 minutes a day downloading all of my favorite songs on the hard drive. Um, I, I probably spent three months downloading. I downloaded about 300 songs, um, all 80s and 90s Christian songs, Amy Grant, you know, Michael W. Smith, Carmen, I put some Garth Brooks and Billy Joel in there too, but I even put some of my sermons on there so I could, you know, listen to see how I can get better and, and things like that. I loved the car. After a few months of owning the car, these ladies in church got together and they, they came to me and they said, you know, we don't think that our pastor should be driving a flashy car like that. I said, oh, I said, somebody really blessed me with a car. I love that car. They said, nope, we don't think it's right. And so I didn't pray about it. I didn't ask God about it. I just immediately went out the next day and I sold the car. I did not want to hurt somebody's faith. I didn't want, you know, I didn't want anything in my life to cause them to stumble. I didn't want to be that kind of pastor. And um, so I sold the car. Two weeks later, all those ladies left the church anyway. Little punks. And um, I should run them over with my, I'm just kidding. And so, and so I thought, oh man, you know, I can't believe that. But I thought, you know what, I did the right thing, okay? I just, I didn't want this thing to, you know, be the center of my life. I loved it. And you know what's funny is when I got rid of it, I got a truck that was more expensive than the car. So it wasn't a money issue. It was just the color of the car or the flashiness or whatever it was. A few years went by. God began to heal my heart. And about two years ago or so, maybe three years ago, I thought, you know what, God, I think I want to get me another Dukes of Hazard car. I really love that car. I want to find another one. So I looked all over the United States. I mean, I researched and researched. I probably went through 30-something different cars. 
Finally, I found one that I liked, and it just happened to be in Surfside. And it was a 2013. The other one was a 2008-2013. This one was actually cheaper, had more bells and whistles, lower miles, and everything. And I thought, you know what? I feel really good about it. So I went to the guy. I made him a deal. The Kelly Blue Book was like 24000 He gave it to me for 21000 When we're at the bank, you know, signing papers, we're talking, and he found out I was a pastor. He said, you know what? I'll knock another $1,000 off. And I thought, man, either there's something really wrong with it, or this is really God's favor, and I feel good about it. <clears throat> so he knocked another $1,000, and... You know, I bought it, and as we're going outside, he hands me the keys, and he says, um, he said, you're a pastor? I said, yeah, I'm a pastor. He said, man, you're going to love that car. I said, why do you say that? He said, somebody downloaded 300 Christian songs onto the hard drive, and there's even some preacher on there preaching after every few songs. I said, that's so interesting. I get in the car. Now, listen, it's a totally different car. My 2008 went to Missouri or somewhere. This was a 2013, totally different car. I get in, I hit play, and the world's greatest preacher was on there. <clears throat> it was T.D. Jakes, and I was like, oh, God, this is so good. Can you believe that those were my songs that I down? How did God do that? And that's one of those things when I get to heaven, I cannot wait to figure out how God organized all of this to say, you know what, John Paul? I'm proud that that possession is not at the center of your heart. I believe that was the only reason God did that. And I ended up selling it because my kids didn't like having to get in the back seat. But either way, I know it was God. Okay, point number three, and I'm done. What you ponder. What you ponder. Ezekiel 14, 1 through 4 says this. Any elder of Israel who separates himself from me, taking idols into his heart. And remember this. Here's the word I told you to remember. And puts images before his face. I of the Lord will set my face against that hypocrite in order that I may take hold of the heart or the mind of Israel. So the word image is the root word to the word imagination. There is nothing wrong with your imagination. It's neither good nor bad. It's all based on what you are constantly thinking about. If you have fantasies of being with someone other than your heterosexual spouse who you're married to, you need to cast down those wrong imaginations. If you have imaginations of yourself in places or doing things that God did not provide for you, you need to cast down those imaginations. If your imaginations are filled with fear or worry or anxiety and all this pressure and all the, and it's all about you, 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 and not God, 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 you got to cast it down. 2 Corinthians 10.4, we use God's power to cast down wrong imaginations and make every single thought obey Christ. So how do I know if I have a wrong imagination? How do I know if I have an idol in my mind? Okay, I'm going to give you a spiritual answer and then a natural answer. And they're the same thing, I'm just going to say it differently. The spiritual answer is this. If there's any discontent in your heart, there's an idol in your mind. In other words, if you just, <clears throat> if you just can't be happy with what God has already provided, if you just can't be at peace with what God's already done, if you have to have something fixed before you'll serve God with your whole heart, then that is an idol that Satan will always use against you. And here's the natural answer. If you get up in the middle of the night to pee, and before you even get to the throne, there's already a thought on the throne of your heart, i got to fix this, how am I going to do this tomorrow, I'm stressed out about this. If you, before you even get to the toilet and you're already thinking about that problem and you just woke up out of bed and it's already in your mind, you have an idol that you got to turn over to God. Last story, I'll let you go. <clears throat> Abraham, 
he prayed and he dreamed and he hoped for 20 years to possess a person that he wanted more than anything. He pondered it day after day after day after day. All he wanted was a child. He was married, but that wasn't sufficient. He was rich, that wasn't sufficient. He was disconnected. He just had to have that child. He tried to manipulate people for it to come to pass. Finally, after 20 years, God gives him the person that he always wanted. His little boy was born, and Abraham was so excited. I mean, this just made this, everything could be taken away from him, but as long as he had Isaac, he'd be okay. Until one day God said to him in Genesis 2, 22, 22 verse 2, Take this thing that you've been thinking about, dreaming about, praying about, desiring for 20 years. I want you to take it off the throne, and I want you to give it to me. And Abraham thought, God, this is all I've ever wanted. My mind's been consumed with this for two decades, and now you're going to take him back. But Abraham was obedient. He set the altar in place. He put his son on the altar. See, God will ask us to surrender the thing we love the most to show him that he is the most important thing in our life. Abraham thought, okay, God. <laughs> you know what? I believe Abraham had so much faith. He knew if I kill my son, God will bring him back to life. Or, you know what? God will bring me someone else. Or God will change my heart to where I'm not even upset about it. That's how much faith Abraham had. So he pulls the knife into the air, and all of a sudden the angel shows up in verse 12 and says, Do not lay your hand on the boy. And I love this line. For now I know what sits on the throne of your heart. Now I know what you love more than anything else. Now I know what is your highest priority. Now I know who you see as your source. It is 100% God. What priority will God find in your heart? Sitting on a throne that's been prepared for him. My question is, <clears throat> will you be happy if everything gets taken away from you except for Jesus? Will you be content if you lose your talent, you lose your ability to walk, you lose your hair, you lose your spouse, you lose your child, you lose your money, but you still have Jesus, will you be okay? Now, I know if we say honestly, we're like, I don't know. That should be our goal in life. Otherwise, we have an idol that we're seeing as our source. Amen. Amen.